What I want to look at today is this concept of unwise um, or wisdom. It, it's going to kind of turn into wisdom and unwise uh, in a sense, but also how that relates to sin. So there's a couple of things I want to explore. Firstly, this idea of wise and unwise. Um, and I should have got Clifford lined up because the first verse is going to be a song that we sing. Um, but never mind. How and why we sin, and then how we can be unwise with dealing with temptation that leads to sin. And then lastly, looking at, and, and I've used Paul's words here, when lawful becomes unwise. Uh, and you'll see... One of the things we get in there is this idea of disputable matters. But I'm not going to go into that detail, but more the idea of how that works. So to start off with, and this is a a great verse, and it's a kid's song. We've modified it slightly. But we could almost sing this. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house and did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So when you think about this um, passage Jesus is describing wisdom and he calls it foolishness and I'm just going to say unwise. Um, There's probably a link between those two. So first of all, wisdom is hearing the word of God and then doing the word of God. It's not just enough to know it, you've actually got to put it into practice to actually live it. And the other opposite side was they still hear the word of God, but they don't do it. They don't put it into practice. And Jesus describes that as foolish. And he uses the analogy of the house and the idea of if you do what God says, then you will stand. If you don't do what God says, then it's going to be a disaster. So when we think about that definition of wise, and you've got the, 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 um, the items in Proverbs, for example, where it says, you know, um, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, etc. I just want to digress for a little bit, um, and you'll see where this is relevant in a sec. How and why we sin. And some of these passages um, are quite familiar for a number of us. James chapter 1, 12 to 15. And James here is talking about the process involved in sin. He says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. That when desire is conceived, it brings um, birth or gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So when we think of this, um, think of the, the process that he's describing. There's some sort of opportunity or temptation, and that gets the desire going, 
And then when the desire um, gets fully grown, if for want of a better word, it goes into sin. So it's a progression, all right, um, as described by James. And if you think about um, examples of sin, and I've picked the one in Genesis chapter 3, um, remember in the garden, Jesus, uh, not Jesus, God spoke to Adam and Eve and said, every tree you can eat but that one. And in chapter 3, uh, we have the serpent who comes along and he says this, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So you think about what's happened. So they they have the instruction, that tree was off limits. And then Satan took that opportunity to say, hmm, well, you won't really die. Um, In fact, what will happen is your eyes will be opened. You'll know good and evil. And then, oh, that mulled around in her brain for a while, didn't it? Mmm, good for food. Yeah, look at that tree. It's pretty good, isn't it? Oh, it'd be great to be wise. Oh, to know good and evil and be like God. Wouldn't that be really good? And then what happened? No, the thing didn't blow up. (laughs) She took it and ate it. And then she gave it to her husband. And I'm not going to go into the whole blame game bit that comes after that. But you can see that process. Got the thoughts going... And then it sort of desire grew and then it was the reach out and grab. And then she found out there wasn't quite the story that she was told. But that's a different story. So when you think about sin, um, that's from the the process point of view. Uh, First John has, uh, from the other side, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. That idea that breaking God's commandments, all right? And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, that is Jesus, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And again, without getting into a big explanation, just trying to break down this idea of Sin is lawlessness, but it comes from that, uh, that process of um, being enticed, um, that temptation, the desire. Uh, and I use the word opportunity because sometimes it's that opportunity has to happen as well. But you get the idea. And the other word for, um, for sinning in the Greek is this idea of missing the mark. You know, you don't quite get there. Um, you fall short. There's another side to it as well, which briefly I just want to talk about in James 4. Uh, And again, a familiar passage. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we shall go and do such and such, uh, go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapour that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, you shall live and do this or do that. But you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. 
Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so this idea as well of this boasting, in this arrogance, but also that idea of knowing to do good. Okay, so how does unwise come into this? Well, we've already looked at it from the point of view of that starting point. Right? Not doing the word of God is considered foolishness. But there's another part that I want to um, consider in this. Um, my, my great, amazing art graphics here. Where do I sit? And, and what, oh, I don't want to get you the, the idea that, you know, oops, you stepped over and you fell into temptation. This is more thinking about where do you sit on a day-to-day basis. Is it here in the green stuff, which is righteousness? Is it over here in the opportunity, temptation stream? Or the other one? Now, it wouldn't be the other one because John said, no, we don't live there. But think about this. Where do I sit? Do I find myself getting into this cycle of sin? I do whatever the sin is. I repent. I won't do that again, God. I do it again. I repent. I won't do that again, God. That cycle. But nothing really changes. And you think about why? Because I'm sitting over here in the temptation zone. I'm sitting here where the opportunity of me sinning is quite high. Is that wise? Is that a smart thing to do? It doesn't mean I'm there all the time, but you get the idea. So is it wise to place ourselves in situations where we're tempted? Ah, yes, but I'm strong, I won't sin. I don't have a problem with that. Um, Or is our attitude, look, that yellow line over there is where I'm going to fall over, so I'm just going to... I'm not sinning yet. Still not sinning. Not sinning. What am I doing? Why do I feel the need to get as close as I can? Is it because I'm trying to be in the world sometimes, I just can't let go? And then with God sometimes? You think about it. You have weaknesses. What do you do? Oh, I have a weakness of pornography. Well, let's go on certain websites. Oh, I have a problem with lusting after women. Oh, let's go and hang out in the beach. Oh, I have a problem with gossip. Let's go and find all my friends that love to gossip and let's get together for coffee. With the intention of, I won't gossip, I'm strong. And I could go on and on, inserts in here. Why do I put myself in positions like that? Learn from the Israelites. That was the argument that um, was being made in 1 Corinthians 10. When we talked about how they, you know, in the desert and they made the calf and a whole bunch of them fell that day. And he says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God's not in the process of putting you in situations where you can't handle. But do we? Is that what we're doing? 
Think about the instructions or the advice that was given uh, to Timothy by Paul. Flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Or in James, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, that he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Notice the advice. What's the action? Wisdom says flee. Not sneak up to but run the opposite direction. Resist. Resist the devil. Don't put yourself in those situations. Draw near to God. Remember what Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. So if we amend our little diagram, we're starting to find ourselves in the the danger zone, we hit the road real quick. And then go and draw near to God. But sometimes it's not about things that are just plain sinful. There are other things as well. And I want to talk about this idea of lawful becomes unwise. And I want to start with a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and stomach for the foods. But God will destroy both, it and them. And he has, introduces this idea of, there's a whole range of things I can do. But some of them are not helpful. And he's going to expand on that um, in a bit later in Corinthians. But just this idea of, I may, it may not be sin, but is it helpful? And this idea of what happens if it's bringing me under its power. And he says, I won't be brought under that power. And interesting, he gives the same advice in Corinthians. And I'm not going to read the entire passage again. But again, this idea of fleeing. And both of them he's talking about sexual immorality. Um, And later on in 1 Corinthians 10, and I'm going to come back in chapter 6 and 10 and talk about some of the examples that he puts in there. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. So he expands a little bit on it here and he's going to start getting into um, some of the examples that he's um, going to bring up. But again, I can do all of this, but is it helpful? Does it edify? Does it seek the well-being of the other? And the example here he gives is um, when you, in the olden days, they used to, olden days? Back in Jesus' time, um, a lot of stuff, and it still happens today, you see that when you're walking around Singapore, the little idols um, that are set up and they put food on it, 
Well, after a while, they take that food and they go and flog it at the market. And so this, this meat might, for example, might have been offered to an idol and then offered to you for um, steak and chips. Uh, you can cook steak and chips with it. And so G- um, Paul uses this as um, an example um, in the things that he's talking about. And he says this, if any of you who do not believe, sorry, if any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for, the, for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. So what's he saying in both of these passages? He said, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. All belongs to God. It doesn't matter whether you stick it in front of a piece of wood or not. But as soon as this person told you that it was offered to idols, his advice changes. Don't eat it. Not for anything for me, because I know the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. For them. Because of them. In 1 Corinthians 6, um, there's another thing that comes up, and he gets after them too. So I thought I'd put this one in here as well. Uh, And we're not talking about, you know, criminal law and all that sort of stuff. We're talking about the stuff that goes before Judge Judy. You know, all that sort of petty, petty sort of stuff. And he says this, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that you shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? And he's talking about this this sort of foolishness of using courts to resolve issues um, between Christians. Like, isn't anybody wise enough? among you to um, resolve that rather than sort of um, bringing the church into disrepute going dragging it through the courts and in fact he goes on a bit later on in that passage which I don't include here that the idea of it's better to be accept wrong or be cheated almost than to sort of have to resort to that the other one which um, is commonly called disputable matters and I'm going to pick the Romans one here though I'm, I'm being very loose with my terminology here. Um, and all I want to say about this without getting into a big explanation is think of these things as things that are lawful for you to do. You can do them, you can not do them. How much difference does it make on the sin front? Nil. Zero. Not a sausage. But... There are times when um, it can turn into something else. And this is really what I want to get at, um, where wisdom says to do something else in spite of the fact that I can eat it, as in this particular example. He starts off in Romans 14, Receive one who is weak in the flesh, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For he who believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who, despise, who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who eats 
uh, sorry, who does not eat, judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. The second example, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each of them be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks. He who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. So, in a nutshell, discussion. Here are two people. One eats meat and veggies, probably, and the other one only eats veggies. Neither's wrong. Doesn't matter until the veggie eater starts to judge. The meat eater starts to look down on the other, then we have a problem. And he's saying to them, these are God's servants, they're not yours. It's not for you to judge. You treat them the same as you would, despite the fact that they only eat veggies or despite the fact that they eat meat. The second example was that these people observe that day as special, these people don't. All the days are all the same, doesn't matter. Again, the same sort of thing. You have the freedom to do it, but it becomes, wisdom says, I respect them. I don't mistreat them because of the fact that they do that. And you could see, for example, with the Jews and the Gentiles. Jews had certain feasts, Gentiles didn't, for example. That could have been a possible example of when this came up. So in each instance, neither option is sinful. You're not to judge each other. He says, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall not, shall we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ? For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore let us judge one another, not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. We're God's servants. We stand before God and we give account. It's not for you to start judging me on stuff that doesn't matter. Going on a bit. I know I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. And notice there um, the consideration of the other, what they believe. Right? And he's going to get on to why in a sec. But this, this call to walk in love. So don't, don't give opportunity for that other one to be grieved, all right? to be made sorrowful, all right? to be offended. Not because of things like this that don't matter. Right? That's not wisdom. 
And therefore, finishing off, uh, therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which, by which one may edify one another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offence. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So you notice here he's talking about that consideration of your brother. Right? Don't destroy that work of God in that person just because of something as silly as food. Right? Don't give anything that's going to cause them to stumble. Right? And notice what he said in there. If the person doubts and eats, it is sinful. For the person who doesn't doubt, it is not sinful. Right? And that's where this idea of what's lawful for me becomes unwise because of the way I treat it. It now becomes sinful. Why? Because of their conscience. It's got nothing to do with me. All right, so therefore, um, anything that's not eaten in faith, um, he says, then it becomes sin. So, in summary then, um, Paul uses several examples of this lawful versus unhelpful sinful. Um, Meat offered to idols, um, going to unbelievers, uh, judging those who don't agree with us. And that's where it starts to fall into that sort of unwise sinful area. And the, the basic focus is consider the other. Consider their conscience, their salvation is more than food and, gold, or food and drink. So in conclusion then, being wise is doing what God says. That walking in love. Being unwise is not. Right? And we know that sin's not keeping God's commandments, but it's more than just that. Right? It's um, how do you deal with sin? Don't do unwise things. Don't go and put yourselves in positions where you're going to be tempted, where you have opportunity to sin. Rather, do what God says and flee and go and draw near to God. Right? And just because something is okay doesn't mean it's okay for everyone. And you need to bear that in mind because if it causes other people issues, then we're falling over into that unwise sinful area.